This week on Writers Inc. Also used to wonder like, uh, why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to write, like put all of yourself into this to write something and not have your name on it at the end? Whether you are traditionally published or indie, writing a good book is only the first step in becoming a successful author. The days of just turning a manuscript into your editor and walking away are gone. If you want to succeed in today's publishing world, you need to understand every aspect of the business. Editing, formatting, marketing, contracts. It all starts with a good book. Then the real work begins. Join international best-selling author J.D. Barker and indie powerhouse Jay Thorne as they gain unique insight and valuable advice from the most prolific and accomplished authors in the business. The publishing world is changing, adapting. Do you have what it takes to become a full-time writer? If you're willing to do the work, we'll give you the tools. Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's In. All right, well, uh, it's like two weeks away. Feels like a lot, you know? Uh, get, don't get to talk to you, JD. You're, you're on vacation. How was Florida? <laughs> Florida was awesome. I, I rode in the, the morning, and we were we were right on the sand on Siesta Key. So I just, as soon as I got the words done, I just stumbled right out the door, plopped into a lawn chair you know, under an umbrella, and, and tried not to move for like the next four hours with a beer in my hand. It was great. Nice, nice. Did you ever uh, try writing on the beach, or do you write it in the room and then go out? Yeah, it was, we've, we had like my wife's family was visiting and a lot of, you know, my friends and family were, you know, we're from Florida and from that area. So we had a lot of people dropping in and stuff. So it would have been too, you know, too much going on out there in order to do that. Um, plus my daughter, you know, constantly wanted to bury me in a you know giant hole that she was digging and, and that kind of thing. So I, it was easier for me just to knock out the words and, you know, get out there at like 1030 or 11 and just know that, you know, that was behind me. Nice. Nice. God so. forbid you take a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I can't take believe it takes you four off, hours right? to drink a beer either. <laughs> oh, I didn't say one beer. <laughs> <laughs> you said a beer in my hand for four hours. I'm like, man. <laughs> no, we, we we had a system in place for, for beer replenishment. So. Awesome. Uh, in um, all seriousness, though, I'll bet you get a little squirrely if you don't get your words in. Is that? I mean, do you feel off if you don't get them in that day? Yeah, you know, and I, I don't know if it's because I'm an Aspie or, you know, what the deal is. But, like, if I get up in the morning, like, normally I write first thing. And, like, if I don't get to do it right away, then I start getting all twitchy. And, like, it just it feels like I've got something that I was supposed to do and I haven't been able to. And, like, it just gets worse and worse until I, I just get it done and get it get it behind me um and i'm really close to you know i've, I've been working on this for this one book and i, I did that 20 word you know twenty thousand words that I, I chopped out of it and i'm, I'm back on track and like i feel like I, I can see the finish line and like i i didn't i didn't want to take like a week off you know from from working on that you know it's because then you have to you know everything just kind of cools down and you have to go back and reread and try and get back in that frame of mind it just didn't make sense to do that and you know it, it, it's a we're down in florida for a week i mean there's cutting you know taking a couple hours to write in the morning was was no big deal it didn't hurt anything yeah I, I totally get that. Yeah, I came back to a, a cool email, and I, I don't know if something has gone on with, with AudibleGate or not, um, but I got an email from Audible, um, and I'll just read it. It says, Jonathan Dylan Barker, we routinely review our financial systems and recently identified additional earnings owed to you. As a result, your April earnings reports will reflect an adjustment to your royalties. And there was a, a sizable amount on there. Um, so I don't know if that means they went back and they did some type of an adjustment for some of these, you know, returns, you know, that whole, that whole deal or that problem that they had or, or what. Like, there's no explanation as to what it is. There's just a big bump in the, the dollar amount from what I would normally see. Um, so I'm guessing it was covering a couple months of, of something. Yeah. So have you guys heard anything at all about, about that? Yeah, they've oh, yeah. they've been – I don't know exactly what it is. I, I mean, it definitely started happening after the Audible Gate thing. Um, 
because they've been doing these emails for the past few months. I know I know at least two people that got them. Um, I I actually got one. I think last month I got one of those emails. Um, so it's been uh, it's been uh, like the last two or three months they've been I guess going back through and looking at stuff, maybe doing some auditing and paying people out. So. Hmm. All right, um, and then I took a look over a look at um, Book Trip, um, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but John Steinbeck has, has a werewolf novel. I saw that, but it's yeah, not, they're like, not going to publish it, though, right? I don't know. There's a lot of pressure on his family right now to put it out, um, and and the argument, and this is a really weak argument, is that if he didn't want the world to see it, he would have destroyed it. I'm pretty sure that's not the case. The people that want terrible argument, that the people that want to see it, I guess that's all they've got. And I'm, you know, I'm fully willing to to get behind that. That makes sense to me because I want to <laughs> see this thing. I'd love to see a John Steinbeck werewolf novel, but totally. all I've been able to find is it's called Murder at Full Moon. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, and I was catching up on podcasts and I listened to SPF, um, and it was James Blatch talking to his, his, you know, two editors that helped him finish his novel. Um, and you know, if, if you're working on a novel or thinking about working with an editor, that was a, a great listen. So you may want to just check that out because, you know, he was, he was working on that book for, I think a good 10 years or so before he really got, you know, got into gear and got to the point where he could see the, the ending of it. Um, and a lot of people helped him with that and, and just hearing from his editors on it, like I, I, I thought it was a really good interview. So it's, yeah, it's definitely uh, worth a listen. And one of them was Jenny Nash. And we have her coming up. Uh, oh, okay. So yeah, we have an interview with her coming up sometime in the near future. Cool. Well, that's pretty much all I've got. So I can go back on vacation now. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What's, well, what's going on with you guys? Uh, I'm I'm uh, really deep in Kindle Vela right now. I've got I'm going to launch two different series. I'm going to launch a a full season of each, which is ten episodes of about. Uh, 1,500 to 2,000 words each. So I've been uh, working on that because they, they don't have a release date yet, but they're saying in the next couple months and internet's thinking July maybe, and I kind of want to have those both ready to roll and edited and everything. And uh, it's, a, it's a whole different form of storytelling. It's even different than, than short stories. So I'm, I'm in, a, in a learning process right now. It's, it's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, they're definitely, I'll tell you one thing, they're definitely making a push with that. Yeah, they There's are. A lot of emails coming in. They just keep promoting Vela so to, for authors right now. So it'll be interesting to see what they do on the reader end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So. Well, cool. You guys want to get into some uh, housekeeping here, and then we'll, we'll jump into the interview? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's give a shout-out to Kobo Writing Life, our wonderful sponsors up there in the Great White North. Uh, Kobo has simple tools to help you publish your books in any country you please. With Kobo, you get to set your own price. You get uh, promote monthly promotional opportunities. And the best part is there's no exclusivity. So if you want to uh, get your books published wide as an independent publisher, KoboWritingLife.com is the place to go. We also want to give a nice shout out to our newest patron, RJ Beam. Uh, thank you, RJ. I know RJ's been listening for a while. Uh, if you want to uh, be able to ask us questions for our monthly Q&A episode or even join us live on the episode, head on over to patreon.com slash writers inc podcast and you can sign up there. Uh, our guest this week, uh, Catherine Hudson. Uh, Catherine is a uh, fantasy writer and she writes a lot of uh, dark fantasy, uh, paranormal, LGBTQ uh, fiction. And she's also a ghostwriter, and I think that's going to be interesting because I know JD, you you spent many years as a ghostwriter, so I think uh, uh, there's going to be some interesting conversation points that we can talk about after the interview. Yeah, absolutely. She's got some cool covers too. I was just checking them out. Yeah, her covers are really well branded, and and uh, I'm definitely going to 
going to ask her about that. So one, one little side note, uh, we recorded this interview a while ago. And if you are, if you've been interviewed by me and you're like, where the heck is my interview guys? <laughs> Just know that, uh, we, we do have them and we are getting to them. And, uh, and Catherine's is one that we recorded a while ago. So just wanted to say, stick with us, be patient. We'll get you on the show. Yeah, so to put that in perspective, we recorded Catherine, I think, in 1983, and she's been <laughs> retired for about 12 years now, uh, but still a cool talk. Yeah, still relevant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Here she is, Catherine Hudson. What's it like to take Bruce Willis for a walk? <laughs> well, I will say that he's not very good at staying on a leash. You know, nobody, <laughs> nobody can keep Bruce Willis under wraps. So, um, that is the hardest part. Uh, Bruce Willis being one of my two dogs. Um, he's actually not very, he's not very good on a leash. We tried no. so hard with training. We tried so hard. Our other dog is like an angel pretty much and she can do everything, but yeah, walking Bruce Willis is hard. It I, is. I'm sure I've heard that. I've heard that from people yeah. in the industry. Uh, so, Everyone so says it. There's got to be a story behind the naming of that dog. It was honestly, okay, so honestly, it was just, I mean, obviously, we are fans of Bruce Willis, <laughs> I the <would> actor, <laughs> and I just thought, like, it had been something I'd wanted to do for a long time, to ha have a dog and name him Bruce Willis, and we were originally trying to find a Great Dane, because for some reason, we thought that would be better <laughs> um and then we ended up we ended up finding um some people in our area who uh they just had an accidental litter of puppies and so we went over there and and uh found him and he became bruce willis he's still i mean he's like 90 pounds and so he's big <laughs> so it's like it didn't, it didn't really make that much of a difference and now having two dogs i'm like oh i'm really glad that we didn't get a great dane <laughs> What are we doing? We also have a kid now and we do not have enough space. But um, yeah, and it's it's a very important distinction to make that Bruce Willis, my dog, is one word, his full name, Bruce Willis, one word. Because yeah, I'm sure, you know, people get confused all the time. So you want to make sure that's perfectly clear. Dude, yeah, it's just, it's just one just one word. Yeah, it's clear. But we, we, you know, we joked all the time in the beginning about, oh, this would be so hilarious. You know, we're walking down the street and we like, have you seen Bruce Willis? He got out. <laughs> Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis, come here. And we have actually had to do that. Nice. <laughs> we deserved it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's it's a nice contrast, and I, I sort of detected this underlying sense of humor with you, so I knew that I knew we could go there. Um, yeah. But I love your you have sort of a, a log line or a slogan on your on your new website, and it's a touch of exquisite darkness, and I love that. I want to know how you came up with that. Was that an evolution? Was that something that just came to you? How how'd that come about? Yeah. Th thank you. I'm glad that you like it. It was actually um, I have had that you know branding log line i suppose since the very beginning since i first started uh decided to start making this writing thing um my career or since i started you know publishing as well and um it just sums up perfectly what i do i write dark fiction and i go down the dark roads and to me that avenue is exquisite and there is something to be said for um 
diving into those deep pits and figuring out what can be pulled out of it. And, uh, and yeah, so I, yeah, I've always had that and I love the line and it, it does, uh, sum up pretty much very well what I do. And I know, you know, I have had some feedback from, from first time readers who will say, this is just not, this isn't my thing. I can't handle this. And I totally understand that, you know, <laughs> fine. So for anyone who's on the fence, you know, maybe uh, take a dive into darkness. If you don't like it, I won't hold you there. <laughs> <laughs> anyone expecting super happy, light, fluffy things from me, 100%. Um, will be disappointed. So I'm very open about that. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's good that you sort of know who you are and who you serve. And, uh, and I, I was, uh, I love that you had a, a recent blog post um, about a one-star review uh, that yeah. I, I thought was fascinating. So um, we can talk more about that, but why don't you write happy endings? I mean, you're pretty clear that you don't write happy endings. Yeah. I, I mean, like on a surface level, um, I find them boring. <laughs> so that's, you know, my own personal preference. Um, and I think it, it goes along the lines of, you know, I, I write in a very wide spectrum across many genres for, you know, my own books. I write dark fantasy, sci-fi, dystopian um, within that speculative fiction realm. Um, but when I ghostwrite, I'm, I'm writing pretty much everything else except for romance. I can't do romance. And <laughs> those are, you know, that goes along the lines of a, a successful romance novel does require a happy ending, right? That's what people are going in for. And um, I, I don't know. It's not that I don't believe in happy endings in real life. I mean, my God, <laughs> I am incredibly happy with my life and so fortunate to be where I am. And I have found my own version of my happy ending. Um, and I think in, in a lot of ways, you know, well, I do write such dark fiction because that is how I <laughs> compartmentalize as, as if you read that blog post and you know, that's how I compartmentalize separating the dark stuff for myself so I can focus on, um, you know, the, the abundance and joy that I finally do have in my life. And I think it is also important um, for everybody to be taken outside of their comfort zone sometimes, you know, and when we don't have happy endings, that can be uh, way beyond uh, another person's comfort zone. And that's my way of sort of engaging with with opening people's minds and thinking about things in different terms. And um, I do always have a thread of hope in there. So it's not just like bashing everyone down and uh, leaving people completely unsatisfied with a horrible, you know, destructive ending. But um, yeah, it's a combination of all those things. I think wrapping up happy endings uh, in a nice little bow is just, to me, it defeats the purpose of the story. Well, I um, I know, like, I, I write a lot of dark stuff, too, so I know what you're talking about. But mm -hmm. can you maybe just explain a little bit more the difference between a happy ending and a glimmer of hope at the end of a story? Sure. Um, for me, you know, the, the happy ending would be something where, you know, the hero saves the day or you know in a romance <laughs> which i don't i can't write i've tried and i can't do it um you know the the couple gets together and 
all of the um, all of the plot points are resolved very nicely, and everyone has this. You know, it may not necessarily be feel good resolution, but there's a re resolution to everything, um, and you know, justice is served, and the main character and supporting characters get what they want, and um yeah sure there, there's also a lot of happiness at the end of happy endings um and i you know i also send uh i also tend to stay away from um the common tropes within sci-fi and especially dark fantasy of uh pitting a main character against the main antagonist you know like the big bad guy um i write very gray characters across the board so it's definitely difficult for even a fantasy character of mine to reach the end goal of like, I will defeat the villain and bring peace to the land. And I, I don't do that. Um, so with my, with my non-happy endings, with a glimmer of hope, there is um, a tiny bit of resolution. More often than not, it is the last thing that the main character or even the readers expected to see. Um, and <laughs> some people are not happy with them and <laughs> some people understand why I do uh what I do at the end of the book and um and then sometimes there really just is no resolution at all and it's just well this is, this happened and um or a main character will have to go through something like fairly traumatic <laughs> at the end and it so it leaves it leaves readers I think with a, a sense of like oh that came all this way for nothing but then that glimmer of hope at the end is like no it's not it's not for nothing it may not have been what everyone involved wanted um but the point of that i think is is showing that there are unintended consequences and positive things that can come out of even screwing the whole thing up at the end um which is a message and a, a lesson that i learned very well in my life and something that I try to reflect in my writing too you know is that the world keeps turning we keep moving on it may not have been anywhere close to what we wanted but there's still so much more that can happen after this and and not to give up because it's the end isn't necessarily the end yeah yeah um yeah. your series covers are so well branded uh, they're branded well within the series and they're, they're branded well with, for you as the author. So what is your process for that? Oh, for branding covers. Well, I will say for the, um, the Ginona's children duology, daughter of the dragon and mother of the dragon, those were my first two books. Um, and I've had four different sets of covers for those books. So it was not just a, you know, amazing from the beginning kind of road. Um, and that is the, um, the duo of books where I really learned the most about this whole process and about how to brand things um, and cover specifically both for my own brand and for the series themselves, for the genre. Um, and so now I've learned that the, the best way to handle that is to find a different cover designer for each, not necessarily genre, but for each feel that I'm going for with covers. So um, the, the designer who made the Blue Helix 
book covers um, is not the same person as um, the designer for the keynote is children duology. And then um, I had a completely different designer as well for the Unclaimed trilogy and uh, and a fourth <laughs> a fourth designer too for a new. I'm uh, I'm getting really close to putting out the first in a new like dark urban fantasy. I'm trying. Gonna try some stuff with that, and so I have a completely different cover designer that way, and um, so I juggle a lot of that information. But it, it's just like you know, um, just like what we do as authors, right? We can't write in every style, in every genre. I try, <laughs> but um, you know, we all we all have our own strengths and and the things that we are the best at, where we really excel and hit that sweet spot. And so I found that. Um, the same thing applies to cover designers, and um, and I respect that too in terms of uh, the work that they put in to um, making these awesome covers. So it was a trial and error process, really. Most of my entire journey has been, which I wouldn't change at all. <laughs> yeah, good to learn these things. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your writing process. Uh, time of day, where, how, how many words, uh, what's that look like for you on a day-to-day -day basis? Yes, day-to-day. -day. So like I mentioned, I'm also a fiction ghostwriter. Um, and mostly I write for um, a few fairly large publishing companies and I can't say who they are, but uh, I write under a few different pen names for them. And then of course I write my own stuff. So I have, I, I have a lot of words to pump out the way that I've put my schedule together. Um, and I do this full time. So I am fortunate enough not to have a, another day job. This is my day job. It's what I get to do all the time. And it is the best thing ever. It's all I've ever wanted to do. Um, so I wake up on average, I wake up at four o'clock every morning um, and, you know, make coffee and I have my little wake up routine and getting ready for checking off all the things on my list for the day. And, um, and I will go, I will go, I will write from, for about 12 hours. It's like a 12 hour work day for me, five days a week. It, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could extend my days that far and write as many words as I do. Um, but I'm finally here now and finally taking two days off a week, like a regular person to keep my sanity. And I have a three-year-old daughter. So my, my husband is a stay-at-home dad and he's home with her, which is fantastic. And, um, they get to spend a lot of time together and I, I get to shut myself up in my office and just write all day. Um, so I, I start at five and whatever I'm working on, um, I pretty much just dive right into and I found that what works best for me is writing all day in sprints and those are um, I've worked it up to writing in 30 minute sprints with a five minute break in between and then I force myself to stop and force myself to get back down and start again um, and I found that you know when my timer goes off because I set I set timers for every single sprint and break um five minutes is enough for my brain to reset and 30 minutes is the sweet spot between it's like right at the cusp of where I'm peaking with my word production and right before I would drop back down and start you know not really wasting time but not writing as quickly as I 
was for the last five or 10 minutes before that. Um, so I average about 1,015 words in a 30 minute sprint. Um, so when I'm, <laughs> of course I don't spend <laughs> an entire 12 hours with only five minute breaks all day long. So I, I average in a day about 15,000 words doing this. And then I take, uh, I try to take two 30 minute breaks once in the morning and once try. in the afternoon. Yeah, I try, I try. Um, sometimes they're a little bit longer than 30 minutes and sometimes I forget, but um, you know, I stick things like eating in there. <laughs> and uh, sometimes in the afternoon, I'll do a little meditation and take a power nap. And I have never been able to power nap until I started writing like this and then, uh, you know, 15, 20 minutes of napping just resets the whole thing and it's fantastic. So yeah, I, I write pretty much from five to five and I'm pumping out a book a week for my clients and then I slip my own stuff in there when I can. <laughs> wow. Now on a, any given day, are you moving between multiple projects or are you just staying on one project for the whole day? I'm staying on one project for the whole day. Um, I did used to try to layer them like that, where I'd spend, you know, three or four hours on one and three or four hours on the other. Um, but I found that that slows me down the next day from getting into it. If I completely immerse myself in one book and one story, then I'm in that a hundred percent. And I jump right back on, you know, with the characters and back into the storyline and it's all my days run together. <laughs> but, um, but I do switch off back and forth between multiple series. So I'll write, you know, book one of one series one week and then hop to book three of another series the other week and, and kind of stagger them in there. So um, I have found that I can write two books in a row of the same series and be fine. But if I try to go with three of the same series in a row, I'm burned out completely. I, I, I mean, I can't even listen to um an album of music by the same artist all the way through <laughs> from beginning to end because I get bored so <laughs> I have to switch it up um but that's been that's also been a process of trial and error and figuring out you know where I can tweak uh tweak these different aspects of writing and where the sweet spot is and and <laughs> when I push myself too far which I've definitely done too tell me um uh, where ghostwriting fits into all this I I'm I'm fascinated by it. I think it's the strangest term for for the job. Like it, right. it's just there's so much mystery surrounding it. I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it. What's what's been your experience of, of ghostwriting? Such an incredible experience. I'll just put that out there first of all. Um I I used to be um one of the people out there who I mean also didn't know what exactly ghostwriting entailed. Um and didn't know that it was such a, a, a vast uh, sort of secret. There's a lot going on and it exists everywhere. And of course people don't know about it because um, you know, ghostwriter will write a book and then the, another author's name will go on it and that's part of it. And I also used to wonder like, oh, <laughs> why would anyone want to do that? Why would you want to right? Like put all of yourself into this to write something and not have your name on it at the end. Um, but I, I stumbled upon a, a webinar that was talking about ghostwriting. And um, 
And then I got to see how much money can be made from ghost writing. And I said, are you kidding me? I could do this all day, every day as my job and, and make this much money. I have to try. I have to do it. Um, so I, I entered a little mentorship. It was like the flagship kind of an experiment of, of this, this person who had been doing the webinar. Um, and so I got in with the, the first round of this mentorship for ghostwriting. And um, that just it just took off. And he helped me find clients and I learned how to navigate, you know, um, being a freelance ghostwriter at first and how that worked and how to keep my schedule full and um, developed such fantastic relationship with him that now he's, he keeps throwing me projects and I have to turn him down quite a bit of the time because I'm full now. Um, but beyond the amazing, like, fulfillment of my dreams to sit and write fiction all day every day um it's been such an incredible learning experience for me in terms of how to basically forget everything that I already know about writing and everything that I have um internalized into writing my own fiction and just starting from scratch and saying this is the way that someone else writes their books. This is the way that, you know, a publisher wants their stories to be. And some of them are very formulaic. And, you know, it's, that took me a little bit of time to get around because I was at first really like, I, I can't just, you know, turn left when I, my brain is telling me to turn right. How am I supposed to do this? Um, but I eventually broke through that because I, I wanted to be able to do to do this correctly and to make it sustainable. Um, and so now at this point, I just get into different mindsets when I sit down to write, um, to ghost write something versus writing my own things. And I, I will say that the projects like ghost write go a lot faster. I write them a lot more quickly than I write my own work. Um, I mean, A, that's because I have a lot more time to dedicate to uh, client projects, but um, Beyond that, I'm just kind of like going with it. I'm not worrying about um, uh, getting across maybe some deeper <laughs> messages that I want to present in my own work. And it is that that formulaic structure of you know um, writing mass market entertainment makes it a lot easier and makes it a lot faster i'm not worrying about anything i'm just like oh well these are the kinds of things that we're going to put in here and it's great and it's fun and i have found myself um identifying with different types of characters and different you know narrative situations than i ever previously had i'm not sure if i would enjoy reading all of them but while i'm writing them i have fun and that's the whole point is to have fun with it and um and i have learned so much about my ability as a writer and what I'm capable of and how to just be a chameleon and slip into somebody else's voice and do exactly what they would have done. Um, so it's been, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I'm always learning new things and, and picking up different genres that I may not have dabbled in before and 
Um, so far, the only thing I, I can't do hands down, like I said, is romance. And I'm totally okay with that because I don't read it anyway. So <laughs> there's no love lost there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it, it took me, it took me about, it was a little over a year that I was write, ghostwriting consistently and sort of, I guess, building this reputation for myself within cer certain circles. Um, and then it was at the end of October last year um, when my husband decided that he wanted to be a stay-at-home dad and he wanted to stop working. And we were talking about whether or not that would be a possibility. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Uh, we, can, we can do this. I got it. And so I just, <laughs> I just kind of uh, overloaded my schedule a little bit. But then it forced me to get to the point where I'm writing 15,000 words a day and, you know, pumping out four books a month and just moving through it. And that's my job and that's what I do. And I love it. I mean, I would not have worked as hard as I have worked or as I do work if I wasn't absolutely in love with it. That sounds insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you don't obviously don't have to get into specifics, but can you, for someone who's never, doesn't know anything about ghostwriting, can you give us a sense of just generally, like how much money can you earn on a project? I know there's a wide range, but give us some sense of, of how lucrative it might be if you're good. Yeah. Um, I have taken on projects for $10,000 for a 70,000 word um, nonfiction book. So I do also do nonfiction as well. Most of it is fiction, um, and most of what I do um, is about half that per book. <laughs> um, so that you know, there are varying, varying um, prices there. And and when I started, it was at about oh fifteen hundred or or two thousand uh, dollars for a seventy thousand word book. I think if I'm remembering, it's all a blur, honestly. But um, there is so much room for growth there too. Um, and it's, it's all about just sticking with it and taking on new projects and, you know, like making relationships and then eventually saying like, yes, I will continue writing this for you. Let's talk about you know, negotiating the terms and raising prices a little bit. Um, and that is definitely something that I struggled with in the beginning. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of, creative types it's hard to put uh, a price point on what you create because it's, you know like I love it so much and and this is just what I do and I don't know how much I want you to pay me or sometimes we don't know you know what what a certain service of our creativity is worth and so it took me a long time to see the patterns of of how these relationships with my clients were going and and to be okay with saying you know, yes, I would love to do this for you. Let's keep going. Let's also talk about, you know, where this can benefit us both and we can both, you know, grow and expand at the same time. Um, another huge learning opportunity for me in, in, in treating this as a business and, and using negotiation as a tool, which is something that I had always been so terrified of because I thought I was horrible at it. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it sounds like there's no ceiling. Like if you're, if you are willing, you like it and you're good at it and you want to stick with it, you know, you might, you might have to negotiate lower, lower prices as you start, but as you get more jobs, I'm sure you can keep raising those rates. 
exactly and that's been really cool to see and um and there really isn't a ceiling you know i mean at, at a certain point it depends on what kind of clients you're working with you know after a certain point so it's it's no longer you know just one person wanting to put their one story out there and have someone write it it's you know writing books for a publisher who will be you know recouping those costs of paying a ghostwriter within the first couple of weeks um when they launch a new book so um yeah i mean really the sky is the limit um and and it is it's matched by how much effort we're willing to put into it at the beginning which um <laughs> i'm really glad that i put in <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You've done the hard work. So now you get yeah. the, some of the spoils. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, as we kind of, uh, as we kind of wrap up for today, I have one last question for you that I hope will be kind of fun and, uh, there's no right or wrong answer, but, uh, you know, you've, you've been ghostwriting and, and publish writing and publishing your own works for, for many years now. Uh, where do you think the publishing industry is headed? Oh boy. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I don't know how to answer that question. I think, I think that, um, that good stories and, and good books and characters that people can relate with, um, and that people can, I, I guess, sort of live vicariously through, and yes, in some instances, even find hope with, or, you know, happy resolutions with, I think that that will always be important. And that will always be something that, that readers want. And people aren't, people are never going to stop reading. I haven't stopped reading and I barely have time to read these days. But, um, you know, I do see a lot of really cool things happening with, within, the indie author part of, of publishing. And I think that, um, I think it's very possible to have a lot more, um, a lot more indie authors making an in like a livable income off their own work. And, and, you know, where perhaps uh, traditional publishing may not be for a lot of people because it still is may not be the, the one and only, uh, resource for, for publishing. And I think that if people, if people realize, you know, how, how possible it is to follow your dreams and do these things on your own, more people would do it. And I hope they do. I hope people try, you know? All right, guys. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Bruce Willis. I kind of want to get my <laughs> own Bruce Willis. What do you think? Bruce Willis. <laughs> you you actually got me with that opening question because we've had so many celebrities on here on here and I'm like why not someone who walks Bruce Willis that makes perfect <laughs> sense and <laughs> I figure he's got to have a handler or a security person or somebody who, who takes him out every day and gets some sunshine yeah yeah <laughs> but hey remember it's not you guys are saying Bruce Willis it's Bruce Willis yeah Bruce it's, Willis. it's all one word. <laughs> <laughs> so God she about killed me when she said fifteen thousand words a day God yes. that's what I was gonna say. Like even like, do you guys use timers or anything like that when you're writing? Like, do you have any anything that kind of keeps you in your seat? Just the clock. I mean, I know like my my scheduled writing time, and I'm in the chair during that time, but I don't keep track of minutes or words. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm yeah, I'm hybrid. Like I sometimes I'll do what Jay does and just have the clock. Um, but other days I'll do timers. Um, I'll I'll set like a thirty minute timer and then take like a five or ten minute break or whatever. 
Um, and I do, I do that pretty often. So well, I, I drink a ton of coffee and a ton of water and I'm 50. So I have to run to the bathroom like every 15 or 20 minutes yeah. anyway. So I'm, I'm always getting up. Um, I, I do set a timer for once an hour, um, just to kind of remind myself to at least drink a glass of water. Cause that's like a super healthy thing to do, but Lift your I've head never up, actually breathe. <laughs> yeah. I've never done writing sprints and I know a lot of people that do that, you know, they, they, there's timers specifically built for that where you sit down and you have to do a, a little bit of a writing sprint. And I know it's productive. Pomodoro timers. Yeah. yeah. And if, if you watch the Dan Brown masterclass, he, he kind of goes into his little routine and he gets up, I think once an hour and he actually does like exercise, um, which, which is important because, you know, you start falling apart when you sit behind a desk for, you know, eight, nine hours a day doing nothing but staring at a MacBook. Yeah. So, yeah, that whole, yeah, yeah that whole conversation was, I was like, man, 12 hour days, like, and, uh, you know, 15,000 words a day. I was like, that's, yeah. that's, that's awesome. Like, I wouldn't want to do that, but I definitely could envy people <laughs> who do. So, and for four, sure. four books a month. Um, yeah. Like I, I get, if I'm lucky two to 3000 words a day, like that's a nice productive day for yeah. me. I, I don't burn myself out doing that. Um, I've, I've done the, the bigger sprints before. I think my biggest day was close to 8,000 words, but you know, I, I talk about this when I, when I talk to students and mentoring people, like when I do that, I feel like, you know, I'm just completely wiped out and wasted by the time I, I finish like a, a, you know, a productive day like that. And the next day I sit down and like, I just stare at a blank screen because I don't know what to do next. You know, it's sort of like running a marathon, you know, like the next day you're just, you, know, you have to just sit in a chair and do nothing and kind of recuperate and so i mean but you know writing is, is very much like a muscle i mean if you you know you get used to doing a thousand words a day it's very easy to push that up and do two thousand so i imagine you could get to fifteen thousand um but yeah that's she should get a, a trophy or maybe a, a theme song or a board game or something made about her yeah i i definitely wanted to to dive a little deeper on the whole ghostwriting thing because i that that's always fascinated me and I know that she she talked about that being a pretty lucrative thing, and JD, you you did that for years. Um, how how was your experience alike or or different than the one she talked about? Well, I think that that's evolved and it's changed quite a bit from when when I used to do it. Like a lot of the projects that I I took on, it was like a combination of the book doctor ghostwriting thing. So an agent or an editor would have a manuscript that was you know ninety percent almost there, ready to be published, and they either worked with the author to try and get that other ten percent, or um, they they felt the author wasn't capable of doing it. Um, some some type of constraint kept them from from being able to get it done, and then it would land on my desk, and I'd work real close with the editor to fine tune it. So that was one type. Um, the the real lucrative one were the, the ones that I did um, for like memoirs for, you know, I, I did some uh, sport um, people, you know, uh, a basketball player. I've done politicians, um, people like that. Um, and, you and you can some... say who it was. We won't tell anybody. Yeah, no, I can't. Because <laughs> <laughs> when, when you do that, you sign in, insane NDAs. Um, like for the politician, to give you an example, this is a woman who was very close to becoming our president. Um, I, I was flown out to a, a place in Virginia. Um, we spent the weekend there, um, and I just uh, recorded a ton of conversations with her and took it back and, and wrote it up as a, as a memoir, which she then sold on her own. You know, like my name didn't appear anywhere on that. Um, that kind of thing is very lucrative. I've literally bought houses from the paydays from from those types of projects. Um, so you you can you can still make that kind of money for sure. You just have to pair up with the right people, um, football players, basketball players, tennis pros. You know, people anybody in the public spotlight. You know, the publishers are willing to give them a decent check to to write a memoir because they know that it's going to sell. Um, but a lot of these people don't have the time or the ability or the inclination to actually sit down and write it. So they try to pair up with somebody that can. So I I've got a reputation of doing that sort of thing. So my name gets passed around in it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's no different than anything else. Like, if you want to break into that field, you, you can. You just have to get out there and, and start shaking hands. Do you still do it? 
Uh, I would for the right project, but you know, I, I, right now, like I've just got too much on my desk. I just, I, I can't put aside what I'm, I'm actually working on. And it, and it got frustrating because you know, I, I had six different books that ended up on the New York Times list and they all had other people's names on the, the front cover. You know, like that's what spurred me to actually start writing on my own. So, you know, but you know, who, who knows? You know, yeah. I say no today, I might not tomorrow. Well, I mean, you're, you've been a ghost writer, Zach. Do you write about ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> Funny, funny one. Had to. Yeah, no, Had I, to. I, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think the ghostwriting thing is, is interesting. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, for me personally, like, I mean, I've, I've, I've thought about it, but I'm, I don't know, like, I, I just kind of enjoy writing. I already feel like I'm in a position where I'm like, I'm not gonna ever tell all the stories I want to tell, <laughs> you know. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely. Um, you know, a, a, a very lucrative, clearly. And, uh, you know, and for people out there who are trying to make a full-time living out of this, I mean, that can be like an option to do stuff like that, to supplement income, you know, while also getting to work on your own stuff. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it was a, it was a fascinating interview, uh, a, a different type. And, and I think it was interesting to talk to Catherine about things that I'm not necessarily, you know, that, uh, up on and uh and so yeah hopefully hopefully listeners got something interesting out of that too so uh next week we have uh dana k coming up uh dana is going to be one of our featured speakers at the career author summit which is now just three months away which is hard to believe uh, but she runs k publicity and she uh she has a lot of great clients and she specializes in marketing branding uh, she says for the entertainment industry, although I think a lot of her clients are authors, both indies and traditionally published. So I think it's going to be a fascinating conversation to talk to Dana about, you know, wh what are the ways to uh, get your things out, um, you know, uh, get uh, get noticed in, in, a, in a crowded marketplace. And so uh, I think that's that's going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, publicists are a huge part of this business, but pairing up with the right one is is so important. They're, you know, it's no like it's just like agents. Like anybody can literally create a website and you know put a shingle up, and they can say they're an, an agent, a publish a publicist. They're doing this, they're doing that. Um, it's really all about you know the, the past track record. So when you work with anybody like that, try to get some recommendations from people that have worked with them in the past. Um, get some referrals. Talk to people that you know may not even be happy with them. You know, talk to past clients that left them and find out why. Um, but seriously, research these people because you you can end up spending a lot of money on some of them and, and not see any results, and vice versa. You might pair up with somebody who's absolutely spectacular that that may not cost you an arm and a leg. Right. Right. Yeah, and uh, w one more little thing, a little teaser. Uh, JD, maybe you want to mention this. We, we have one of your friends coming back on the show next week. It's going to be a bit of a bonus episode depending on when we get this recorded, but do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so James Patterson wrote a second book with Bill Clinton, um, which is a cool thing in, in, in by itself. I mean, just to be able to sit down and talk to somebody like Bill Clinton has got to be a, you know, a lot of fun. But um, he's got a book coming out called The, the, the President's Daughter, I think it's, yes. it's titled. Um, and, I, and I read the, uh, the ARC for it about a month or two ago, and it, it's fantastic. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite thrillers I think I've read for the year. Um, so he's going to be coming on just to talk about that. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't want to spoil, but uh, there's a. I don't know about halfway through. Uh, he kind of pulls the rug out from under you, and I I didn't see it coming, and it was a it was a great twist. Uh, so I don't want to spoil, but I agree. It was a it was a great thriller, uh, and I can't wait to ask him about the the interplay between him and and the president and and writing this because you know so much of it seems like it's coming from very personal places. So it's going to be a fun talk. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the best part about those. This is their second book together. And, you know, obviously Bill Clinton's got a lot of insight into, you know, what happens in the White House and the Oval Office. And he, he can talk to things that nobody else could possibly understand. Um, and that that's what really makes it cool and makes it seem just, you know, so authentic. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, to our listeners, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and grab the free revision masterclass where you can see the storytelling process from beginning to end. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.